The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher at Creekside Bible Church, located in Cupertino, California. We're going to be in God's Word here. Let's go ahead and, like I said, uh, open up to Proverbs, about the middle of your Bible, chapter 3. Uh, the summer is upon us. If you've been here at, uh, for any length of time in terms of years at our church, you may have noticed a pattern historically that during the summer, sometimes we do, we mix it up a little bit and have a little more variety during the summers in terms of what we're teaching on and preaching on. Uh, good time to do that for a lot of reasons. Uh, a lot of people are in and out on vacation, traveling, and so we lose some continuity there, um, including the preachers. Uh, so this provides an opportunity to really zero in on specific topics that we think our congregation needs to hear. First and foremost, the preaching ministry at this church is for the people who come to this church. In other words, we don't have an international ministry or a national public ministry where we're catering to some audience out there. It's, no, this is the local church. We're a local church family, and that's what it's all about. That's the focus. So we are constantly thinking, praying. I know I am. Okay, Lord, what would you have our people in our local church family hear from God's word? What do we need to hear from you? And we have been going through the Gospel of Luke. And we will continue to do that, just so you know. We will finish the Gospel of Luke. Unless, of course, Jesus comes back before then. But we will continue to go through that as we are confronted with the majestic Christ every single week. Uh, but during the summer, we're going to take opportunity to do some different things that I think our church needs to hear, that we, as God's people, need to hear a word from God. Uh, the challenge of a pastor or preacher is given the charge in Acts chapter 20 that your responsibility as a pastor, elder, preacher, is you need to teach the full counsel of God. Imagine that charge. You need to teach the complete counsel of God. You know what that means? You, need, you are responsible for teaching everything God has revealed in the Bible to your people. There are logistical challenges that come with that. We only meet once a week. Um, and I can't preach past 54 minutes because then people get hungry. So you have a limited amount of information that you can communicate on a regular basis. You have to be selective and purposeful and prayerful and seeking God's wisdom. And what would you have me bring to your people? Lord, it's not my agenda. It's, it's your agenda, God. What do our people need to hear? And there are seasons that come along, events that come along that need our attention. Maybe something based on what's going on in the world, like we had with uh, the pandemic. And we did a series of messages for a prolonged period of time on pertinent issues from God to tell us people how to live in the midst of a pandemic that was unprecedented. And God did not disappoint. Scripture is sufficient. He spoke to every issue. That is if you believe his word. So we did that. Other things come along. Natural disasters. Changes in the events of the world. Or maybe something more local. So we've done that historically. Uh, also throughout the summer I've done different series on particular topics that I thought we needed to focus in on before we get back to our regular routine of whatever book we're in in the Bible. So it just provides some variety and allows us to have a balanced diet of God's word as we seek to fulfill the mandate. We need to talk about the whole counsel of God. Because if we're in the Gospel of Luke every Sunday for five years, then we're not getting something out of the Old Testament or 
in another topic that is vitally important where we need God's answers about how to live today, right now. What would God say about this situation? Because God has said something about every situation we're confronted with because his word, the Bible, is sufficient. So those are the kind of things that we've been talking about behind the scenes, praying about, uh, talking about what's the preaching schedule going to look like this summer. So uh, we came up with the plan providing a, a more of a balance of getting more exposure to the fullness of God's counsel. Uh, decided to have Derek start the book of Hebrews and go through that on occasion as he is up preaching when I am not. And he'll just go straight through the book of Hebrews. It's a fantastic, highly neglected book. Already we've started that. It's been a blessing. We'll continue to do that. Uh, me, I will continue for the most part just going through the Gospel of Luke as we have the privilege of meeting Jesus Christ every Sunday is revealed in the Word, and then intermittent here and there throughout the summer, uh, I'll bring a specific topic, uh, focusing on the disciplines of the Christian life. The disciplines of the, when you're a pastor at a church for consecutive years, the average time at a church, I think, for pastor, they say is like two to three years. But I've been at the same church for 15 years now, and when you're there that long, you see a turnover of the people. You see a turnover of your members. You've got a lot of new people. Some people who left during COVID came back seven, eight months later and said, wow, there's a lot of new people I don't even recognize. That's just in six to seven months. So there's this high rate of turnover. God's moving people here and there all over the place. And as a shepherd and a pastor, you, you've got to remember that there are some fundamentals that you have to always keep in front of your people in terms of God's truth at a very practical level. And just because you taught something 11 years ago that was practical regarding the disciplines of the Christian faith, that doesn't mean it can be neglected forever because you've already taught it once because God's given you a whole new fold of sheep and new people who maybe have never heard anything on this topic in their entire Christian life. And some of these are absolutely fundamental to the Christian life. So that's been weighing on my heart, and I wanted to talk about some of the basic, most fundamental Christian disciplines from God's Word this summer. Because I know for a fact, as I interact with new members and, and talking to folks, they're are many who haven't heard thorough, biblical, comprehensive teaching on some of these topics that I want to address that are the fundamental disciplines of the Christian life, that need to be a regular part of your life, that are vital to our, our growth as Christians, vital to obedience, to live a life that pleases God. The disciplines of the Christian life, fundamental, basic, like what? Like prayer. Like a day, I mean, don't raise your hand, but if I were to ask you, how many of you have a regular daily devotional regular don't raise your hands but that would what i'm talking about there is a concentrated isolated time by yourself you and god as jesus said in matthew 6 go in the closet close the door and it's just you and the triune god by yourself a devotional time you are talking to god through prayer as jesus said we need to do every day and you're listening to god talk through his word preferably every day. When I became a Christian in the circles that I was in of those people who discipled me in the church that I was at, this was just standard for a Christian. If you're a Christian and you're born again and you know and love God, you should have a regular devotional life. Not legalistically, but it needs to be regular. You are regularly in communion with God through prayer and listening to him talk through his word. That's what I mean by a devotional life. Some people call it a daily devotional life. If you don't have that in your life, uh, you're not going to maybe be as healthy as you can be spiritually because 
Uh, the Bible tells us clearly that as we intake scripture, it is our food, it is our milk. Thereby you grow spiritually from the intake regularly of God's word, says the epistle of Peter. The word of God, biblical truth, is our meat for the soul and our milk to the soul. And you grow thereby. That's how you grow. That's how you stay healthy, spiritually speaking. A regular intake of the word of God. The best place to do that is in your private devotions with God. Same thing about prayer. Pray always. Pray constantly. Pray deliberately all the time. Communing with God. Not just corporate prayer. Once a month and public prayer. But go into the closet. Close the door. You and God. One alone. You like Daniel on your knees in your closet by yourself before God. As David said in the mornings. I beseech you my Lord. That's what I'm talking about, devotional. So that would be a discipline, a basic, fundamental Christianity 101 discipline of the Christian life. And I'm just uh, reminded time and time again when I hear testimonies or interacting with people that they don't know what a devotional life is. They don't know what devotions are. They haven't seen it modeled. They don't practice it in their own life. They're not regularly in the Word of God, not regularly praying. It's hit and miss, if at all then you dry up. You become a spiritual anorexic. That's what happens. And then you have an unbalanced life. You don't have a solid ground underneath you. The challenges of life come and they knock you over. You're tossed to and fro like an immature child, says the book of Ephesians. So we need to secure and build up and shore up the foundation in our life. And these spiritual disciplines are intended to do that in a devotional life through prayer and the intake of God's word, is absolutely foundational. You can't compromise on it. If you're not doing it, you need to implement it as a discipline in your life. I'll talk more about that this summer, what a devotional life is. So that would be one example of a discipline of the Christian life, fundamental, daily devotions. Um, other disciplines, uh, serving, using your gift. We'll talk about that. If you're a Christian then you need to have a home church that you're committed to and accountable to. If you're a Christian and you don't have a local church you're committed to and accountable to, then you're a wayward Christian, you're a disobedient Christian, you're an unplugged Christian, you're a vulnerable Christian. You're an out-of-sync Christian with what God is expecting. Serving in the local church, that's just fundamental, that's basic. That's what you do. God calls Christians servants. That's what you do, that's who you are. You are a servant. If, you're, uh, if you know Jesus Christ, you're a servant. You're a lot of other things. You're a discipler, a follower. I mean, you're a disciple, a follower, um, a slave. You're also a servant. That's who you are. You're a child of God. You're also a servant. What are you? I'm a servant. I'm a Christian. I'm a servant. Oh, okay, good. So you, you must serve somewhere. The answer should be yes. Starting in your own local church. That's a, a basic, fundamental Christianity 101 church discipline. Serving. Serving in the local church. Starts there. Your devotional life, serving, being going to work, corporate worship. That's basic. Boy, was that compromised the last two and a half years. Hebrews 10 and many other places. First Corinthians. That's a mandate. You worship with God's people. That's basic. You don't forsake the assembling of being with the body of Christ. Serving the one another's on and on. So there's a list of basic fundamental disciplines of the Christian life that need to be a part of your life on a regular basis. But people have written books on this, Disciplines of the Christian Life. There was one written in the 1970s, best-selling book, 
Disciplines of the Christian Life. It's been on the bestsellers list since then, not just in the Christian world, but in the secular world, The Disciplines of the Christian Life. It's not a good book. Look through the list and like, wait, that's not a Christian discipline. That's not in the Bible. Journaling, visualization, and all this other kooky, weird stuff. There's a couple biblical ones in there, but there's some scary occultic ones in there, too. But it's by a supposed Christian author and for Christians. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about biblical disciplines. There's not many. They're fundamental. They're basic. They're key to Christian growth and health. They're key to having you live a balanced life in the midst of a very challenging, fallen, compromised world. And so we want to look at another discipline, and that's what we're doing here today in Proverbs chapter 3. So go ahead and go there. This discipline, uh, in addition to the ones I've already, is giving. Giving is fundamental to the Christian life. Giving is basic to being a believer. God expects believers to give and to be giving. Uh, giving is rooted in the very nature of God. That's what God does. What is God? God's a giver. Everything that you and I possess in life that we enjoy, that we have, that is, we count blessed, precious, even the not-so-precious things that are convenient and provide a comfort or serve a purpose of utility that we use. Everything, that's what the Bible says. Everything in your life that blesses you, that is good inherently, is a gift from God. That's what the Bible says. Why? Because God, in his very nature, he's a giver. And when you get saved, God makes you like him. That's part of redemption. That's part of regeneration. He puts the spirit in you. He puts the spirit of God. The spirit of God is, is God. God is a giver. The spirit is a giver. The spirit lives in you who is a giver. He makes you a giver, expects you to be a giver. At least gives you the ability to be a giver in a supernatural way like never before, before you got saved. You have supernatural inherent power now through the Holy Spirit to be a giver, to be like God in many different ways. God is a giver in his very inherent nature. As a matter of fact, the most famous verse in the Bible, giving is at the core, right? John 3.16. God so loved the world. God so loved the world. Love speaks of God's nature. Well, how do you know God is loving? There's only one way to know that God is loving in his very essence and nature. And that is he has to express that. He has to manifest that nature, which is love. And we wouldn't know God is loving unless he did something. And that's what that verse says. God so loved the world. God so loved sinners. God so loved sinful people. God so loved people who were separated from him because of their willful disobedience. God, the creator, loved sinners. He loved us before we loved him. God so loved that he what? That he gave. That he gave. God is a giver. It's his very nature. And then look at the quality of his giving. God so loved the world that he gave, not just his son, his only son, his beloved son, his unique son, Jesus Christ, who was one with him for all eternity. He gave the most valuable thing that he could possibly give. He didn't skimp on his giving. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So giving is a tangible manifest expression of God's love. 
That's who he is. God so loved the world that he gave, he gave to the highest degree. He gave sacrificially. He gave personally. He gave intimately. He gave to meet a specific need. He gave graciously. He gave uh, only upon the condition of faith and belief in him. So God is a giver, and then he saves us, and then he expects us to be givers like him. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew chapter 5. Be, per- be like your Father. Be like your Father. You couldn't do that before you got saved, but now that you are saved, that you're redeemed, you're regenerated, he's given you a new nature. He's given the Spirit to live in you. We can actually live like God in terms of his virtues and his nature and his expectations and all the commands that he's given to us with his help, not in our own strength, but Christ who lives in me. You can do nothing apart from me. That's what Jesus said. You can do nothing apart from me. And then Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can do nothing apart from me. And Paul said, I, you can do, or I can do all things through Christ. That's supernatural. So this is basic. So giving is fundamental to the Christian life. Giving is fundamental to being a Christian. Uh, just let that soak in a little bit. It's all over the Bible. It's from Genesis to Revelation. God always expects his people to give. God gives his resources to his people so that they can give. He enables them to give. He takes care of his needy people primarily through his people who are able to give, who are in close proximity. It's all over the book of Acts. It's how he cares for his people. It's how he meets their needs. It's through other people, other believers, the family of God. We saw that earlier in Galatians chapter 6. So I want to talk about the discipline, the basic fundamental discipline of giving for today and probably today and next week. See how far we get. And I wanted to focus in on verse 9. If you look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord. Literally, honor Yahweh. How do you do that? Honor, the command there is honor the Lord. You're training your children. You need to honor the Lord. What are they going to say? Oh, yes, Daddy. But if you just stop there, that, that doesn't help. They want, well, how? And what does it mean to honor the Lord? What does it mean to honor the Lord, and how do you do it? Well, it depends on the context. We're going to talk about that. But verse 9, honor the Lord from your wealth. Honor the Lord from your income. That's what it means. Honor the Lord from your income. Honor the Lord from your money. For us, it's money, mostly. Back in when Solomon probably wrote this 3,000 years ago, 1000 BC, it wasn't necessarily primarily talking about money or coinage, but it did talk about produce, income, and material possessions, which he had a lot of. And everybody had income. Honor the Lord from your wealth. Honor Yahweh from your wealth. And specifically, the second part of verse 9 is from the first of all your produce. And from the first of all your produce, all that you bring in. So, that verse, I've been meditating on this verse for the last couple of weeks and trying to seek, okay, how do I bring this to our people? Uh, and we talk about this because uh, we need to talk about the disciplines of the Christian life over the course of the summer. And we need to talk about giving because it's basic, it's fundamental. So uh, the elders here at our church, uh, one of the things, when you become a member of this church, we have this minimal list of obligations, commands from Scripture that we ask you to cooperate in as you become a local member of this church. It's not a long list. They're all from the Bible. Are you willing to submit to the leader, the leadership of this church and its teaching? That's right out of the Bible. That's Hebrews 13, 17. That's 1 Thessalonians 5. It's basic. 
First Peter 5. Uh, are you willing to pray for your church? Are you willing to serve the body of Christ in this church and preserve its unity? And also, are you willing to give to this church and support this church? Not just with your money, but all of your income in all of its facets and manifestations. All of your resources. Are you willing to support this local church with your income? And if, if you agree to that, because it's in the Bible, then you become a member, then there's a mutual commitment there and expectation. I became a member of this church. We have a membership covenant. We've got four main points in our membership covenant. They come from the Bible. That's all. We didn't invent it. It's just priorities of what it means to live corporately together and live interdependently with one another and to lean on one another because we need each other. It's the body of Christ. If you're an arm, you need to be connected to the torso and you need a hand connected to you and that hand needs fingers. We need to do this together. No, no mavericks. No lone rangers. Nobody going solo. It's the body of Christ. It's corporate living. It's interdependent living. And giving is a part of that. That's clear from Scripture. So when you become a member of this church, you make that commitment. If I do have income, then I am committed to giving to this church, supporting this church. And we'll go into where all that comes from. This was not something invented by our church here it's not just a New Testament idea or principle. It is in the Bible. It's in the New Testament. It's rooted in the Old Testament, really, from the very beginning. God expects his people to give. So uh, I wanted to focus in on verse 9. So we'll be talking about verse 9 and the implications of that for us, our local church, our members, uh, and flesh that out in detail. Um, so we... You join our church, okay, I'm committed to these four areas, and then as the limited number of elders we have, we try to oversee all of our members. How are they doing in attendance and being with the body corporately? How's everybody doing in the area of service? Uh, how are we doing in prayer? How are we doing in using our spiritual gifts uh, and preserving the unity of the church? Um, is there any discipline issues that need attendance? These are the things that we oversee big picture. But giving is also one of those things that from the pictures we oversee, not in a micromanaging, illegitimate manner, but from an oversight perspective, based on biblical principles like this one right here. Are, are, are members honoring the Lord with their wealth by giving from the first of their produce? And we'll answer a lot of those questions, giving to who. So honor, by the way, in this verse means give. You can just put the word give in there. Give to God from your income. That's literally what it means. It's an ongoing present tense verb. This is a lifestyle. This is a habit. This is a pattern. This is a Christian discipline. If you're a Christian, this should not be missing in your life. Give to the Lord from your wealth. As a matter of fact, well, what should I give to him? The leftovers? No, thank you for reminding us and telling us, Solomon. No, from the first, the first of all your produce, the first, right off the top. The first was usually the best right off the top. It doesn't say how much, but it does talk about a quality that you're giving and a regularity of giving. Sometimes in Solomon's day, you got paid every day. Did you know that? Day laborers. We still have those today, but it was more common then. 
Today we get paid, what, once a week, once every two weeks, once a month. Some people work on commission and maybe a couple of months go by. God knows that. But the principle still applies from the first of all your produce, from the first of all your income. When you get a paycheck, and not just a paycheck, when you get income, when you get a big, juicy $100 cash bill from grandma for graduation, how's that one? Your first thought isn't, if you're a Christian, 17-year-old, isn't, ooh, what can I spend this? What video game can I buy? Your first thought as a young Christian should be, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Grandma and Lord. Because all wealth comes from God. All gifts come from God. All of it. Whether you're a Christian or not, it came from God. He's the source. And that's what this is saying. From all your income. Maybe it's your retirement check. Or another source of income. That's, it applies. The first of all, your income. Thank you, Lord. So you're saying thank you, and then you're actually tangibly taking off the top, and you're giving that to God. So that's another question we're going to ask is, and answer is, well, how do you give to the Lord uh, from the first of all your income? We're going to talk about how you do that today in the local church and still doing justice to the text that was written a long time ago. So... Um, there's a very personal, intimate backdrop, background to this sermon today and next week, and then also the church disciplines. It is the elders and me in particular trying to give oversight and providing information from God's word that our people need to have to ensure that they're living in the will of God in a very disciplined manner at the most fundamental level so that God can nourish our soul and we can live obedience to him in a way that pleases him and a way that also allows our body to grow corporately as we seek to honor him in all these areas. And none of them can be neglected. You can't be selective. You can't be hit and miss. Like, um, if you're a member, you know that you are a part of the process of identifying elders and deacons here at our church. We don't have an oligarchy here where just the elders do the appointing and placing and self-perpetuation. It's we want, desire, welcome all the input from our members on candidates we lay before you, whether it's deacons or potential elders. We want your feedback. We want your affirmation. We want your concerns. We want your prayers. We want your involvement. And that's what you get when you're a member here at this church. That's the way it should be. That's the model in the book of Acts, actually. And there are qualifications to be a deacon and elder, and they're delineated very clearly in the Bible. 21 qualifications to be an elder. We actually look at the discipline of the potential candidate who's going to be an elder regarding their giving. The pattern of giving they have here at this church. Because that's basically intersects with one of the 21 qualifications of being an elder. You want to be a deacon, you want to be an elder, and you have an income and you've had a job the last five years, and then there's no record of giving that we can even see or detect or even know about, or it's hit and miss and it's erratic. That's not in keeping with the standard God has laid out for an overseer of the church. And God says that explicitly in 1 Timothy 3. If you can't even manage your own home, and that would include the finances, you can't manage the church of God, which is bigger, more complex. And giving is a part of that. How you handle money is a part of that. Because one of the responsibilities of the elders is to be the stewards of the money that comes in from the people at the church. That's modeled in the book of Acts, by the way 
or the people who went to church that said they laid the money at the, the feet of the apostles. That was the leadership of the church. The apostles were the first pastors of the church of Jerusalem. They were the elders. They were the, the first 12 elders of the church, and the money was entrusted to them. The members did that. And it was a trust relationship. And the elders, the apostles, they counted the money. They knew how much they had. They knew who gave it. They saw the pattern. They kept track. They were blessed by the people for it. They disciplined people when it went awry, Acts chapter 5. Fundamental, basic Christian discipline, giving. That's why we're talking about it for the next two weeks. So it's basic to Christian maturity, really. That was my point about we look at elders giving patterns because it's a basic sign of spiritual maturity and discipline at the most fundamental rudimentary level. Everybody has to deal with income. Everybody. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much you don't have. Everybody has to deal with money. That's by God's design. It's inherent in the system of humanity on planet Earth. And we manage it, hopefully according to biblical principles. So um, with that, and before we really hunker down, Oh, by the way, if you're a member of our church, hopefully you saw the email that went out a couple of weeks ago, just an update on our finances, a prayer request from you, an update of where we're at in terms of our needs and the income. Uh, if you've been going to our church for any period of time or a number of years, you might notice we don't talk about money a whole lot up here because Sunday mornings is reserved for worshiping God, the worship service. Where I served as a pastor at many churches, actually, as an associate pastor, where they talked about money every Sunday. Come on, people, you need to give. Next Sunday, y'all, you got to give a little more. Next Sunday, you haven't given enough. By the way, we got it on the back of the bulletin for you to show how much you haven't given. Hope you feel guilty. Take that home. And every Sunday, you're reading it in the bulletin, how much money's been given, how much we need. The whole world can see it. Non-members can see it. Visitors can see it. They can see your business. This is family business. That has never been how we conducted business since we've started the church 15 years ago. This is, uh, God expects his people, his members, his family members to support the local church. So we're not going to be begging for money for pe from people who are not members of our church or a part of our church. Kind of like the way you run your household. You got mom and dad, you got the parents, you got the breadwinners, and that's where it starts. This is a family affair. So in terms of details, uh, we don't talk about finances like that. We don't beg and plead people. We don't cajole people. We don't make people feel guilty. You need to give, give, give. You're not giving enough. But we will talk to openly our members based upon a mutual, clear, collaborative agreement that we all had when we became members and committed to one another. We need reminders. Do we not all need reminders? I need reminders in every area of life, including giving. God says that in his word. Peter says that in his epistle. Oh, I've told you this before, and I told you this when I was there, and I'm telling you, and I told you my other, and I'm telling you again. We need reminders. We are short-sighted. We get lost in the moment. That's the way we are. So uh, we need to do this. We need to talk about these things and be reminded. So count this as a reminder for all of our members. We need to be obedient and up to snuff on where God wants us with our giving and what he has blessed us with. And uh, from the first of our produce, giving it to God. And how do you do that today? Well, the way you do that is you give it to the church. You give it to the local church that you belong to. That's what it means to give to God. Give, verse 9, give to the Lord from your income. From the first of your income, how do you do that? You give it to the local church where you attend, hopefully where you are a member, where you belong, where you know the leadership, where you are accountable, where they know you. 
That's where you give. That's how this applies. That never changes. That's modeled in the book of Acts. And then God makes those elders, they are responsible now. Now it's in God's hands. They are accountable to him about how they spend the money, whether they have integrity or not. God knows. Not going to fool God. And you're not going to get away with it either when you compromise with God's money. So it does come down to a trust relationship. And as believers, as obedient believers, we all have to be current in our giving. So that was the email that we went out. It was a, an update. Those of you that are newer to the church, maybe haven't seen an email of that nature before, and you're thinking, whoa, wow, this is uh, forthright. This is upfront. This is bold. This is specific. Am I supposed to feel guilty? No. It's honest, open, clear communication. It's kind of like a family meeting, you know, when the parents call all the kids. Okay, kitchen time, family meeting, we've got to talk about whatever the issue is. So honest, forthright communication, transparent. Here's where we're at. Uh, so be praying. So that's the background to our email communique that was not spontaneous, by the way. We've been talking about it for years. What's the best way to communicate ongoing current needs to our members? We've tried everything. This was a new way to try. Communicate as many different ways as you possibly can. And members of the church, you're welcome at any time to talk to any of the elders about any of these issues, including uh, communiques like that, how are the finances, where are we at, how's the spending, because we're a family, and that's the way it needs to be. God's been very gracious to us, by the way, faithful provider. So with all of that background information, let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. And what, in dealing with verse 9, uh, I don't want to just pull it out of context. Um, so we will continue this for sure next week. And I want to set the stage that verse 9 uh, is part of a larger picture. Actually, verses 1 through 12, it goes together. 1 through 12. So you can't really just take a verse out of there. I don't know if this is true of you, but a lot of Christians have done this. I see this verse a lot. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, just four verses before. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I mean, isn't that a great verse? That is just not. I mean, I have been feeding on those two verses since I've been a Christian, decades now. And I am, I am guilty of just whoosh, heisting that out of its context. Not really concentrating on verses 1, 2, and 3, and 4, and then 10, and 11, and 12. Actually, go with it. That make it deeper, that set the context, but just living by those verses in 5 and 6. So I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to just pull verse 9 out of context and not put it in its proper setting. So that's what I want to do is just give you an overview, maybe in a way that you've never heard before. Maybe you've never heard a sermon on uh, Proverbs 3, 1 through 12, but that's what we're going to do. It's a unit. It goes together. A little background information on the book of Proverbs. We'll set the stage, and then we'll just uh, stop there. And we're setting up the stage for next week as we'll just go verse by verse through verses 1 through 12. It'll bless your soul. I guarantee it'll bless your soul. How do I know? Because verses 1 through 12 has one, two, three, four, five promises to the child of God. Five. Five. And they are awesome. I wish I could give them to you today. But there's a catch. They go with one, two, three, four, six commands. Oh, man. Are you saying these promises are conditional? Yeah, actually I am. Because that's what the Bible says. But they're promises that can be secured with confidence. So we're going to look at those. 
1 through 12. Let me go ahead and read this. Uh, written by Solomon, 1000 BC. This passage is 3000 years old. What other literature are you reading and studying on a regular basis that's 3000 years old? Isn't that, that's how amazing the Bible is. There's nothing like it. Written 3,000 years ago in a foreign language, and it is just as fresh and alive and practical and relevant today as when Solomon penned this 3,000 years ago, let alone its spiritual authority. This is God speaking. This isn't some opinion. This is God Almighty, his word, his living word. It is living. So Solomon wrote this. Solomon was king of Israel. He took over after King David. He was the third king of Israel. Solomon, living about 1950 B.C., uh, did, was Solomon a believer? Absolutely. God gave him the name Jedidiah when he was just a young man, beloved of the Lord. Uh, the book of Kings says that Yahweh loved Solomon. Yahweh, that was when he was a young man. And it also said that Solomon loved Yahweh. So he was a believer. Lived about 70 years. Did he mess up? Yep. Was he a sinner? Yeah, like all of us. Did he get it right in the end? Yes, he did. Did he make a confession and repentance? Yes, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes to do that. And God gifted him in amazing ways as an administrator, a king, a leader, a warrior, a builder, and also as an artiste, a poet, as he was a conduit of divine revelation from God, and he wrote it down for us. And most of the Proverbs that you have in the book of Proverbs came from Solomon, but really came from the Spirit of God, giving supernatural wisdom, wisdom that's greater than any human wisdom that you'll ever come across. This is divine wisdom. The mind of God right here. So that's Solomon 3,000 years ago. This book, Proverbs, by the way, was written. It's from God, written to parents for their children. Think about that. Year after year, decade after decade, I either get people asking me personally or in an email. This recently happened. It happens all the time. Pastor Cliff, you got any good books on parenting? You got any good books? Are you kidding me? I got the best book in the world, none like it. It's called the Book of Proverbs. Literally, God gave us the Book of Proverbs as a parenting book. Among other things, if you're a grown-up, it'll bless your soul. But in terms of specifics, literally, it says in chapter 1 uh, that God gave this to Solomon to give to, to young people, to young minds, to, so that their soul might be formed according to God's truth to prepare them for life. And by the way, it's comprehensive. The book of Proverbs, 31 chapters, it talks about everything that a young person, either a child or a young adult, a middle schooler, a high schooler, a teenager, needs to know before they go off to college and while they're at college. When you go off to college, you should be reading the book of Proverbs on a regular basis. On a regular basis. You wake up or at some point during the day, okay, I wonder what God thinks. I wonder what God thinks. I wonder what the God creator of the universe thinks. Oh, I can find out. What's today? Today is November 4th. Okay, I'm going to open up to Proverbs chapter 4, and I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 4. And then for uh, 27 amazing, supernatural, unbelievable verses, God is speaking to you, telling you what he thinks. And then as a young collegiate student there, you've got the wisdom of God on the front of your brain. The book of Proverbs. Young people. Talks about everything you need to know about, including money, including wealth, including material possessions, what to do with it, how to save, how to invest, how not to be stingy, how not to be lazy, how not to steal, how to work hard, everything you need to know about income, finance, economics. 
It's in the book of Proverbs. So written by Solomon, four parents, four young people, to prepare them for life. Uh, and it's, it's poetry, and they're different units of poetry. So this is a poem. This is Hebrew parallelism. It all goes together, uh, all chapter 3, verses 1 through 35 is a unit, but it's got subunits within it. So we're looking at this self-contained subunit, verses 1 through 12. It goes together. You can't separate 1 through 12. It's a poetic stanza that needs to stay together. It's got those 12 verses. It's got development. It's got a theme that advances as you go through it. It's built on itself, and you can't separate it. You can't get the full meaning from verse 9 unless you know the whole stanza of verses 1 through 12. Verses 2 through 12 are built on verse 1, flow from verse 1. This is poetry, poetry, Hebrew poetry, biblical poetry. And when you say, oh, this is a poem in the Bible, uh, note to self, some people say, well, if it's poetry in the Bible, then you don't take it, what, literally. And I say, fooey, fooey, with a PH, fooey, that's a technical term, fooey. Poetry in the Bible is still God's word. It's the living word of God. I studied this passage in the Hebrew poetry just the way I study any other passage, a didactic passage, one of Paul's epistles, the same way. This is the living word of God. It is poetry, and we do take it literally, where it needs to be taken literally. It's got literal principles that need to be obeyed. It's got promises that need to be uh, embraced when we live in obedience. But it's beautiful. God is an artist. And it's potent. And that's the beauty of poetry. It says a lot and in a powerful way with few words and just uh, incomparable imagery. As humans, we're physical beings. We're, we use our imagination as well as all these other things. So it is poetry, but we're going to take it literally. I, here's just to help you out in hermeneutics. Have you ever heard somebody say, uh, and don't tell me who they are or say anything, but somebody teaching on Proverbs and they make this statement or you read it in a commentary somewhere and they say, uh, you're dealing with the book of Proverbs, so just remember it's a book of principles and not promises. Have you ever heard that? I've heard that for 30-some-odd years. Can I say fooey again? I'm going to say fooey to that. That's ridiculous. The book of Proverbs is a bunch of principles and not promises. I'd say just the opposite, or I'd turn it around. Uh, it is a book of principles, but it's also full of promises that we can confidently embrace from God. And we've got five of them right here we're going to see next week. And we can live in light of those promises. They are guaranteed. If we do what God says, they are guaranteed. God is not a liar. He cannot lie. So that's just a little background on Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And then we're just going to like a kind of a microscope or a telescope next week. We're just going to keep going in tighter and tighter as we see the broad picture and then zoom in on verse 9 and its implications for us in the spiritual discipline of giving. But follow along as I read. Solomon says, through the Spirit, to a believing parent... This believing parent or parents, really, mom and dad, are communicating this truth to their young children that live in their home. And they say, my son or my daughter, it's an inclusive term, my children, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Whose commandments? That's God's commandments. Truth from God. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Longer life. Who doesn't want that? Peace. Who doesn't want that? Verse 3. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and 
humanity or man. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Are you catching the promises here? Refreshment to your bones. Verse 9, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so that, in order that, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You'll have so much you won't know what to do with it. And then finally, verse 11 and 12, the couplet concludes by saying, My son, my child, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or the punishment that comes from God or loathe his correction or reproof. Welcome it because whom the Lord loves, he reproves. Even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. What a beautiful word from God. It's all comprehensive and really gives us uh, a biblical worldview of how to live life in every area. And we're going to look to that and the details of it next week. Be meditating on that throughout the week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and thank him for our time together as we prepare our hearts for even more fellowship at the fellowship meal coming up. Father, we thank you for our time together and just a full day uh, to do some family business, um, to greet saints, to recognize those that you've brought along and given perseverance, bringing them to the next season of life, saying goodbye to uh, dear saints, our family, and the privilege to worship you with our local church family and also to learn from you from your word. Thank you for teaching us your truth that is the living word of God. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who is the greatest teacher of all. Continue to give us soft and tender hearts to be receptive of your word, that we don't take offense at it, that we don't harden our hearts towards it, that we don't reject it, but we welcome it. We allow our thinking, our behavior, our words to be corrected by your truth in Scripture as we want to be molded into conformity of your blessed Son, Jesus Christ. And that can be a a painful process, God. Help us to welcome that process, and that's a sign that you love us, that we're your child. You said you love us, and as a result, you're going to discipline us. But we need your help in that regard as well. Father, we just pray that you are glorified in all that we do as we commit this time to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.